All right. Welcome to church. It is wonderful to be here. Welcome to the Blue Ridge. There's some uh, some visitors in the crowd. Sorry. Yeah, we got some people from out of town. It's always good to see people from other churches coming down and visiting us in the Blue Ridge. I see that uh, Tiffany Perry's family is here visiting from Montgomery County. Welcome. We have Rashawn Smith's mom, Kathleen, visiting with us here today. I believe we have some sisters that are down from uh, Pova. Is that correct? All right, Pova. Welcome. So... As is customary, I just want to throw in a little plug for Charlottesville. We hope you enjoy your stay here. We hope you love it. And if you do love it, we would like to extend the invitation that if you want to make your stay a little bit more permanent, just let us know. We were welcome to have you here at any time, right? All right, so don't, don't go back to your churches and, and tell them that, but uh, keep that just between us. But we def- we're glad you're here. It's great to be here. Uh, Tiffany and I just uh, got back recently from a, a week away in, in Minnesota. I heard there was um, some exciting uh, news while we were gone, that there was a baptism, that our brother Caton uh, was baptized into Christ. That is super, super encouraging. So we're going to continue on in our summer of love. Our summer of love. Drew and Jenny are off at the ICMC Uh, That's the International Campus Ministry Conference. I believe it's somewhere in North Carolina. I'm not sure exactly where, but it's out there. They they send their love. They're they're praying for us. I heard from them yesterday. Uh, They're doing great things out there, along with a lot of our campus leaders. um, Our five, I think, believe our five campus interns that are going to be serving here this year. That is awesome. They are out doing great things. But as you know, we've been this summer. It's been the summer of love. And we've been studying out characters in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. It's awesome. There are some deep characters, some real characters. And today we're going to look at two characters that I think can speak to our hearts. And that's in the book of Esther. And the book of Esther is a very unique book in the Old Testament. You know, it's, it's what, what they call historical narrative. It's a story. It's got plot. It's got everything you could ask for in a story. You have heroes. You have villains. You have romance. And you have some humor. Actually, some dark humor, if you think about it. And of course, there's some violence to throw in there as well. I mean, it would make a great movie. Somebody should do that. Wait, I think they already have. There's probably several. Uh, Esther movies out there. I haven't seen any of them, but I'm sure they're pretty good. Maybe you should, should take a look at that. But it's got everything you would want in a story. But there is one problem with Esther. It's a unique problem when it comes to the Bible. Does anyone know what it is? Yep, yep Tiffany knows. She, she saw my notes. You know, the problem with Esther is that it's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned at all. There is no mention of God at all. In fact, there's not even mention of the temple, of worship, or of prayer. That's, that's interesting. That presents kind of a, a unique challenge, especially to someone who's going to preach on the book of Esther. But Esther is a part of the, the Old Testament canon. 
It is God's word, and I believe it is God's word from us. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to read the book of Esther and not see God's hands moving throughout the book. And to see how God is working through those characters to do something amazing and to do something great. And I want to share that, hopefully, with you uh, here today. But before we do, before we dive into our text today, and I think that, man... Got to get my hand on this. There we go. The title of my lesson is really the heart of Esther. For such a time as this. And our text is going to be out of Esther 4, verse 12 through 17. But before we dive into the text and before we, we look into it, I want to talk to us a little bit about that word up there that's bold and big. Time. Time. You know, time is an amazing concept. I mean, you just think about it. Anyone just sit and think about time? I do. All right. Monique, awesome. Yeah, you can just think about time. It's amazing. It's the fourth dimension. You know, you think about the time-space continuum. Albert Einstein, the theory of relativity, right? It's, it's amazing. And you know, and since the creation of the universe, the clock has been ticking. And at that point, that point the universe created, the clock started, clock started, and it's moving in one direction. And it's called time's arrow, right? Because time only goes in one direction. I'm sorry for all you Back to the Future fans. But as of now, there is no going backwards through time. There's only forwards, and the clock ticks and ticks moment after moment, time after time, even as we sit right now. Think about it. Time is moving. I can see the clock in the back. Time is moving. You know, and time is probably our most valuable resource. But it's also the one that, if we're not careful, can be most easily squandered. Because time, you see, is limited. It's a limited resource. All of us are given a certain amount of time in this life. And our time is fixed. And that amount of time we have can't be changed. We can't gain time. We like to think so. Like, think of time. I can make time for myself. I can gain time. But we don't gain time. The only thing we could do with time is give it away. As the clock ticks and ticks. You know, this is all to say that the way we use our time is very important. You know, what happens during the course of each and every day matters in our lives. The decisions that we make from the moment to moment will determine how well we utilize the time allotted to us. You know, it's not for nothing that Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Time is important. But I'm not going to talk to us today about our time and how we use our time, or how we manage our time. That is not the point of my lesson today, for such a time as this. You see, the ancient Greeks understood something. They understood time in a special way. They had two different words they used for time. And the first is a word we're very well familiar with. It's chronos. It's where we get the term chronological. And chronos is basically just 
quantitative measure of time. We have seconds, right? And we have minutes. And then we have hours. And then we have days. And then we have months. And then we have years. And so on. And so on. And it's how we measure time. And it's the way time keeps moving and moving. The second word that we have for time in the Greek is this word, kairos. Kairos. I love what it says here. When eternity steps into time. Because the Greeks knew that time wasn't just, wasn't just divided into days and hours and seconds and minutes. It wasn't just about chronological time, but it was about specific moments within time. And it's that these moments which make time so important. You see, Kairos measures moments, not seconds. And further, it refers to the right moment, the opportune moment, the perfect moment, the divine moment, the moment that God had called us to for such a moment as this. Time is filled with minutes, hours, and days, and we can fill our calendars, we can fill our day planners up, we can manage our time, we can do everything. But within that time, there will be moments. And there's going to be kairos moments. And will we be ready for them? Will we, as they say, carpe diem? Anyone know what that means? Seize the day. Some Dead Poets Society fans out there? Yes, a great movie, right? Carpe diem, seize the day. Will we make the most of every opportunity, as the scripture says? Now that is what I want to talk to us about today. Let's turn over to Esther chapter 4. Now Esther's a... Esther has nine chapters, and we're not going to go through all nine chapters today, amen? And so we're just going to jump to the heart of it, and we're going to kind of fill in the rest as we go. Hopefully, if you've never read Esther, please go back after this lesson and read the whole book. It's amazing. You can read it in one sitting. It's an amazing, incredible story. But we're just going to kind of jump into it here in Esther chapter 4, but I do want to give us some context. So what's happened here? is that the king of Persia, the great King Xerxes, due to some scheme from someone we'll, we'll encounter here in a little bit, he, he creates this command to destroy, the, to destroy the Jewish people in his kingdom. And we have two, our two heroes. The two heroes in this story are Esther and Mordecai. And we'll learn a lot about them here in just a little bit. But as we pick up here, Mordecai has found out about this plot, this scheme to destroy his people. And he is not happy. And he's making a desperate plea to who? To Esther. To Esther, who is the queen of Persia. He's making a desperate plea to her to step in. Because you see, Esther is Jewish as well. And he's making a plea for her to step in. And to do something. 
to save her people. And so let's pick up in Esther 4, verse 12 through 17. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther has ordered him. You know, this is a Kairos moment. You know, Mordecai here is pleading with Esther to intervene on the behalf of the Jewish people. He says, if you keep silent... At this time, can you imagine, and we'll see, we'll see here in a, in a little bit how they, di- they didn't know that Esther was Jewish. She had purposely withheld that information. And he's saying, at this time, if you remain silent, it's not a time to, before I told you to remain silent, but now you must speak. It's a Kairos moment. And again, he says, who knows? Who knows? I love that. Like he's like, I don't know. But it's, it seems awful peculiar that we're in this position, that you are the queen, and that you could be the one to step in on behalf of your people. Who knows? And he said, he talks about deliverance. He said, he was, he's like, look, if you remain silent, deliverance is going to come. The people will be saved, but you will perish. You know, Mordecai was carpe diem. He was seizing the day. You can almost sense his understanding of divine providence at this moment. How he knew that, that none of this was their own making. That God was working mysteriously behind the scenes to bring all this together. He knew it. You could sense it in his words. You know, God had arranged the time and places for them. So they would be at that moment. That Kairos moment. And how does, Enter, how does Esther respond? She goes for it. Come on. We don't know. We didn't hear before that Esther hadn't been to see the king in 30 days. And you know what happened to those who went to the king when they weren't called? They were killed. It was a death sentence. And that's why she says, I'll do it, but first... We need to get something straight. We need to take three days. We need to fast. We need to not eat. We need to make sure that I believe God is on our side. It's not mentioned. But I believe, along with that fasting, there was some praying. And after that, I'm going to go to the king. And you know what? If I die, then so be it. 
I will die, but I'm going to do this. You know, I truly believe that all of our lives are filled with moments like this. You may say, whoa, Rob, I'm not the queen of Persia. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm just so-and-so. And I'm just a normal guy. I'm just an everyday guy. You know, Esther, Mordecai, they were just everyday guys. They were just everyday people. You say, well, I'm not in that position of authority. How could I have that kind of an impact? How can that kind of a moment be on me? You know, I believe that there are times each and every day where our de- decisions that we make will impact eternity. Yeah. Will have an impact on eternity. You know, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ today, you know this is true. Right? You know it. Yeah. You know, why are you here? How did you get here? You know, somebody in your life sees the day. Somebody you're in life was ready for the Kairos moment. And they took it. And because of that, whether they reached out to you, cold contact, whether it was a friend, someone who reached out to you, they took that and they brought you here. And if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you made the decision that Jesus is Lord. And that was a Kairos moment. Yep. That, was, that was a moment where you grabbed eternity by the tail. <laughs> doesn't sound very cool. The horns. You grabbed eternity by the horns. And you said, I'm going to take it. I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life. And you were baptized. You were plunged into the water. And you changed your eternity forever. But not only your eternity, but the eternity of those in your lives. It goes on and on. I, I was impacted. I'm super impacted by Edwin's contribution talk. That's the kind of imp- those, that is the kind of way we can impact eternity. It's so much greater than anything that happens in history. Who's president? Who's in charge of this country? It's so much greater than that. It's our souls. It's our lives. And we're here in Blue Ridge, I believe, for a time such as this. Or for such a time as this. Get that right. For such a time as this. You know, there are Kairos moments. And what about today? What about tomorrow? You know, are we going to be ready for those moments when they occur? So I want to talk today, and this is really the heart of my lesson. And actually, this is the heart. All right, if you get anything, if you walk away from anything today, know that God is moving powerfully in your life for you to impact eternity, for you to make a difference in this world, for you to do something amazing that you have no idea what it's going to be. But God does. And if you leave with nothing but that, amen. Because I believe that with all my heart. But how can, we, how can we make ourselves ready? You know, I believe Esther and Mordecai were prepared for that moment. Though they struggled, though I think they had their, their deficiencies, they were ready for that moment. And I believe it was because of their character. And I want, today I want to look at two character traits, one from Esther and one from Mordecai, that I believe allowed them to be ready for this Kairos moment in their lives. So we're on to the first point. Oh, wow. We're on to the first point. Amen. The first point is the submissiveness 
of Esther. You know, who was Esther? Who was she really? Let's look in Esther chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. We'll also be introduced to Mordecai here as well. Verse 5, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away from Jeconah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah. That's a cool name. That is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, all right, that's good, I'll stop there, sorry. So what do we know about, what do we see about Esther here? She's an orphan. Her mother and father had died. Not only that, she was an orphan, but she was raised by her cousin. She was raised by her cousin, Mordecai. What else do we know? She was pretty. She had a nice figure. I guess that was something, right? And she becomes part of this quest to find the king a new wife. And we could talk about that a little bit here in a second. But that's what we know about Esther. Actually, I'm going to keep reading. Sorry. Verse 8. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed... And when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred For Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. You know, an interesting question to ask is, was Esther a godly woman? It's kind of of an interesting question, right? We automatically assume, well, yeah, of course she was. She's in the Bible, right? (laughs) But really, if you look about it, you know, there was a similar character in the Bible that went through kind of a, a similar situation, and that, that would be Daniel. And if you've read the book of Daniel, Daniel too was, was a captive uh, from, from Jerusalem. And he was brought into King, King Nebuchadnezzar's um, kind of palace. But what do we know about Daniel? Daniel didn't just assimilate, you know, with the, with the Babylonian culture. He kind of went against it. He said, hey, look, I'm not going to eat the king's food. Just give me the vegetables, and we'll be fine. But here we see, what does Esther do? Esther just goes along. She just goes along with it, right? She doesn't stand out in that way. And she goes on. And what was the motive? What was, what was behind that? We don't know. Yeah, we don't really know, you know where, where her heart was. You know, with God, but I believe there was, she had a character trait that we see that allowed her to be used by God. 
And that is inspiring, because like Esther, we're a lot like Esther. You know, nothing special. You're nothing great. Yeah, she, she was good looking, but so what? You know what I mean? I think the real thing that she had was a submissive heart. If you look in two, chapter 2, verse 10, what does it say? Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. Mordecai tells her, hey, this is what you've got to do. You can't let them know who you are or where you're from. And she submits. Look in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. You know, she could have thought, I know what I'm doing. Forget this other guy. What does he know? Or she could have been thinking, how am I going to be better than the other people? But she listened to Haggai. He said, you know what? You know, you're, the, you're the man. You know what's going on. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to listen to you and do what you say. And because of that, she was rewarded and she became queen. Look in Esther 2, chapter 20. And I, this, is, this is an incredible scripture here about Esther. It said, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Again, she obeys Mordecai. And why? Because she had a habit of obeying Mordecai. She had a habit of being submissive to Mordecai. Why? Because Mordecai was her guardian. Mordecai was her father. And she respected and honored that. And she obeyed him. And she had a habit of doing that. And I think it's that submissive heart. Because ultimately, where we pick up in chapter 4, verse 10 to 11, Esther struggles with submission right. when it comes to submitting to God's real will for the real reason why she has become queen. She struggles with it. In chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, in verse 10 it says, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king for these 30 days. She's saying, look, I'd love to step in here, but my hands are tied. The king hasn't called me. And if I go in there, I'm going to die. What are you telling me to do? She's struggling right. to submit. You know, being submissive is not easy. You know, I think the very word itself is sometimes hard to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hard time with it. It's hard for me to swallow. Submit. Submit. What does that mean? Put yourself below someone else. Does making yourself inferior you know, it goes against everything our society teaches us. You walk out that door and you tell people to submit and they'll laugh at you and say, don't submit. Look out for yourself. Take care of yourself. You don't need to submit. It's a struggle. 
But Esther had a habit of being submissive. He, she was submissive to Mordecai. And because of this habit, she was ready to be submissive to God's call when it came. You know, even in the face of death. And I believe, this is something I believe, the fact is that all submission comes down to whether we are willing to submit ourselves to God's will. You know, and usually when we struggle to submit to someone else or to each other, to leadership, to whatever it is, if we're struggling to submit, it's not, it's not because of that person. Ultimately, we're struggling with God. And we're struggling to submit to God's will. You know, how is it going? How are we doing with submission? You know, are we willing to submit ourselves to God's call for our lives? Because ultimately, we won't submit to each other. We won't submit to one another. We won't submit to those people in our lives if we're not willing to submit ultimately to God's will. Because that is what we need to be submissive to. And when we do submit, will we be able to grasp that Kairos moment? in our lives. You know, I struggle with submission. There was a time not too long ago where I really struggled with it. You know, Drew and Jenny lead, lead the church here. They're married now, and they're doing awesome. But when Drew first came to lead the church, he was 25, he was a single guy. And initially, you know, I was, amen, God is in control. I'm going to open my arms to him. I'm going to accept that. We're going to, this is going to be awesome. We're going to make it work. And it's going to be incredible. But over time, as we started to interact, and we started to bump heads, and some issues popped up, it became harder and harder to submit when decisions were made that I didn't like, that I felt were wrong. And it became harder and harder for me to submit. You know, ultimately to the point where, you know, the, we were asked to step down from leadership. I thought, oh man, God, what is going on? I don't want to submit. I don't want that. That's not what I want. But you know what? I never doubted and I always believed that God is sovereign. That God was moving. That God was in control. And God did not make me the leader of this church. But God had appointed Drew to be the leader of this church. And I said, amen, God, it's hard, but I'm going to submit. And I believe because of that, that submission, it laid the roots to something greater, to something more amazing. It laid the foundation for what has now become our youth and family ministry. And if there is a Kairos moment to be had in this church, it is with our youth they are hungry for something different from this world. And are we going to seize that moment? Are we going to give it to them? You know, I'm inspired by our teens that are sitting here in the front row for Jaden back there. You know, they inspire me. And it's because of that submission that we can see God moving powerfully and doing great things. But it's not just the youth and family ministry. It's the young married ministry. It's the young professional ministry. It's the campus ministry. It's all of our ministries. God is wanting to do something amazing. But are we going to submit? Are we ready for that? 
You know, we gotta, we got to be like Esther. We've got to submit ourselves to God's will. We need to connect with God. We need to be close with God because when we are, the submission becomes easy. I have one more point. We're going to look at Mordecai here. And we'll go, we'll go quick here. But I want to talk a little bit here about the integrity of Mordecai. You know, what do we know about Mordecai? He was of Jewish descent. He was a Benjamite. Benjaminite, that was something. He had some street cred there with his lineage as a Jewish person. He was a single dad, I believe. There's no mention of a wife or children, right? So he was a single dad to a child that, that wasn't his own. It was really his cousin. But he raised Esther and cared for her greatly. You know, in 2, verse 11, in verse 15, it says he takes her as his own daughter. And that's incredible. It says that he was regularly at the king's gate. You know, this meant he had some sort of official title. He was some sort of servant, you know, to the king, that he would be at that gate regularly. But he was always there to see what was going on with Esther. How are you doing? How is it going? Because he cared. You know, was he a godly man? We asked the same question for Esther, right? right? You know, it's interesting that at this time in the history, King Cyrus had already allowed the, the Jews to go back to Jerusalem from, from uh, Nehemiah, if you read the book of Nehemiah and Ezra. They'd already allowed the Jews to go back. For, so for whatever reason, Mordecai didn't go back. He decided to stay. Maybe he, had a, he liked his position there, you know, with the, with the king. He was set up. You know, he was a, a servant of the king. Maybe. I don't know. Was he a godly man? It doesn't say. We don't know. But I do know something. I do know this. He had integrity. And he had conviction. And he didn't compromise on those convictions. Let's look in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. After these things, King Hasuras, or King Xerxes, promoted Haman the Ag- Agagite, the son of, oh my goodness, Hamadatha, and, adv- sorry, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Man, who's this guy Haman? He's a bad dude. It's interesting. We were introduced to Haman the Agagite. 
right? And who is this guy? We know he was promoted by the king, probably to second in command. So he's probably the second highest ranking official in the kingdom. He says that he was an Agagite. And so what, what people believe, that it means that he was a descendant of King Agag. And if you know your Bible, you know that in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Agag was at war with the Israelites and actually was defeated by King Saul, but wasn't killed by King Saul. He was actually killed by the prophet Samuel because King Saul disobeyed God. King Saul didn't have the integrity. So Samuel took care of business. But that's the same Agai. Agat. Agite? Agag. The same Agag that this, this guy Haman was descend, descended from. A mortal enemy of the Jewish people. You know, that's who he was. So it, his conflict here with Mordecai, because he gets a little upset with Mordecai, right? Essentially mirrors the conflict between their ancestors. And he gets this promotion, and the king gives this order that you've got to bow down. You need to bow down to Haman. And, and Mordecai, for whatever reason, decides, I'm not, I'm not going to bow down to this dude. No way. I'm not going to bow down. And so you ask yourself, would it, would it have been wrong for him to bow down? You know, would, that have, would, that, would that have been wrong? You know, I believe it wouldn't have been wrong. You know, Haman was a, was a superior official in the kingdom. And as such, it was proper etiquette in that kingdom for others to bow down, just as, just as we would pay respects to somebody who was, you know, of higher prominence than us. It was a normal thing. It's not the same as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel when they were commanded to bow down to the statue and worship. He wasn't asked to worship. He was just asked to pay homage, to pay respects to this guy. But for whatever reason, you know, Mordecai refuses to do it. He has conviction that he's not going to bow down to this guy. And I believe he knew. He knew who this guy was. He knew his ancestry. He knew that if he did so, he would compromise, you know, his heritage. The fact that he was a Benjaminite. I'm not going to bow down to this Agagite. I'm not going to do it. You know, what did that conviction lead him to? What did that lead to? Haman gets mad. Right? Haman gets furious. So much so that he says, he just skips. I'm not going to do anything to Mordecai himself. I'm just going to kill his people. I'm just going to go right to genocide. What kind of person thinks that way? Who is this guy? Man, he's not a nice guy. He's like, forget that. You know what? You're not going to bow down to me. You're a Jew. He finds out he's a Jew because if you talk to the servants, it's eventually going to get back to the number two guy. Right? That's his job, to find out what's happening. And he sees, he sees that, that, he, that Mordecai won't bow. And he gets so mad. And he talks to the king. And he says, king, we've got to do something about this. And the king issues this decree. All right, we're going to kill all the Jewish people. Man. There's a king. The king didn't have much integrity. <laughs> Not much conviction for the king. But I think to myself, I think to myself, couldn't we have avoided all this by just... Mordecai bowing down. You know, something simple. Just bow down. But no, he wouldn't bow down. He had conviction. And I believe it was because of his integrity. And I believe he knew 
that ultimately Haman was going was to do something against the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't this time. It was going to come later. And I believe God was working powerfully right. through this because God knew that this guy was evil. God knew what his plans were and God was going to stop it. And he did. You know, he had that integrity that he wasn't going to bow down. You know, real quickly, you know, the, one of the meanings of integrity is this idea of being of sound construction. You know, when I think of sound construction, I think of a ship. I think of an aircraft carrier. And if you look at an aircraft carrier, and when an aircraft carrier is of sound construction, it's stable. There are no leaks, no weaknesses. That thing is going to float. And not only is it going to float, but it is going to dominate the waters, right? And when the storms come and the winds come and the waves come, it's going to stand strong and it's going to withstand because it's whole, it's sound, it's complete. And that's the way we need to be. And I believe that's the way Mordecai was. You know, our faith, our character, our convictions, our love, we need to be of sound construction. We need to have integrity. And we can't compromise or bow down to the Hamans in our life. Because once we do, once we bow down, once we compromise, the integrity weakens. Right. We begin to lose strength. We begin to get cracks in our hole. And then all of a sudden we're taking on water. And we begin to seek. If we don't do anything, if we don't do anything to fix that integrity, we end up sink when the storms come, when the challenges come, when the Kairos moments come, we're going to be crushed. You know, we are challenged every day with our integrity. You know, from the very little things, whether it's printing out non-work stuff on your work computer, or whether it's the very big things, with lying and deceit. We all struggle with integrity, but we can't bow down. But I want to say that we're not going to be perfect. You know, we're not, we're not going to have perfect integrity. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to slip up. But are we going to strive? Are we going to strive to be perfect? Are we going to strive to have integrity? And I believe when we do that, when we become men and women of integrity, we're going to be ready for those Kairos moments. We're going to be ready to seize the day. Mordecai was ready. And you have to read the rest of the book to figure out what happens. But ultimately, the Jewish people are saved. Amen? Amen. They are saved for such a time as this. Esther and Mordecai were there. Esther became queen of Persia for such a time as this, so that she could step in and save her people. You know, what are the Kairos moments God is calling you to in your life right now? And I believe that if you are here today, God is working and he is moving behind the streams. He is orchestrating your days, manipulating the space and time in order to call you to a Kairos moment that will have an impact on eternity. Remember that. That will impact eternity for such a time as this. If you're here visiting for the first time, ask yourself, why am I here? How did I get here? What is God calling me to do? I challenge you, seize the day. Find someone, grab someone, study the Bible, find out the plan that God has for your life. 
You know, perhaps you are, you're studying the Bible, you've been studying the Bible, and you're trying to decide whether to make Jesus Lord of your life or not. Seize the day. The time is now. Fast. Pray. Be like Esther and Mordecai. These are Kairos moments. Make the decision. Don't wait. Don't let this opportunity slip away. Or maybe you're just a disciple of Jesus Christ, just like me, who struggles day to day to understand what God is doing in your life. Maybe you don't see God moving and wonder if he is if he's even there. If so, ask yourself, you know, how is my submission? Am I connected with God? Am I loving God with all my heart? Am I submitting myself to his will? How is my integrity? Are there areas in my life where I'm compromising my faith and bowing down? You know, make the decision today to go after being submissive and to work on your integrity. Let's be like Esther and Mordecai. So when the moment arrives, the right moment, the opportune moment, the perfect moment, the Kairos moment, we will all be ready. And we will seize the day and be victorious in the Blue Ridge Church. Thank you. Say a quick prayer and then we'll have one last song. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your love and for your mercy. And Father, I, when I think of Kairos moments, I think there, there is no greater Kairos moment than, than when Jesus died for us and went to the cross. And I'd be remiss not to, not to even mention, mention that here today. And, and God, it is his example of integrity. It's Jesus' example of submission that we all need to look look to and we can see that example so clearly in Esther and in Mordecai and I I pray that God we will strive uh, to be like them we will strive to be like Jesus and Father that we will submit ourselves to your will Father that, that we will be sound in our faith we will be sound in our convictions God and that we will be men and women of integrity and Father that we will seize the moment here in Blue Ridge Father, because I know that you want to do amazing and incredible things. And Father, use us powerfully to do that here in Blue Ridge. We're so grateful for the opportunity. We're grateful for the moment. Help us to seize it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.